we've been looking at the cost of discipleship and we've been using the passage from Luke chapter 14 and verses 25 and on. Uh, so if you turn your Bibles back to that uh, section, Luke chapter 14. Last week we were talking about what it requires to bear the cross. Jesus says um, that uh, you need to bear your cross daily. And uh, so we're going to continue on today. Uh, and we're going to be looking at the two parables that Christ uses uh, in this uh, section, starting in verse, uh, verse 28. I know that most of you know the answer to this, so everybody will just jump up with their hands and say, I know, I know. So can somebody tell me what a parable is? What is a parable? spiritual meaning. <laughs> and uh, Jesus taught in parables. Why did he teach in parables? There could be a couple of answers, I'm sure, that you can think of. Yeah, simple and uncomplicated, something they could relate to in their daily life. But he used the parables to kind of hit those spiritual meanings. And he says, for those who can hear, hear. You know, he, he would teach in parables in such a way that uh, it would be open to those people who are ready to receive uh, the truth uh, that he was preaching. We have here two parables, and um, they're back-to-back -back parables. Uh, he goes right from one to the other, and he does this on purpose, and we'll see that as we go through here. So um, we see that at this time that uh, Jesus has called these people in this crowd before him to make a sober calculation of the true cost of becoming his disciples. And we all have to make that same calculation. Uh, we have to do it soberly. We have to do it in our mind. We have to do it in our heart. Are we really calculating the cost to be a disciple? So the stakes are very high. They have eternal consequences. And so this is something that you don't want to do on a whim, just off the cuff something you should take into consideration. So 
In order to emphasize this point, Jesus told the crowd two parables. And these parables were given back to back in order to convey this truth that it's important for you to count the cost. It's important for you to consider what it's going to be like to follow me. And these two parables complement each other. Or you might say they're the two sides to the same dollar. With inflation going the way it is, this may be worth something. But consider it, think about the dollar. It says two sides to it. Um, and so one side will represent one uh, dollar, one uh, parable, and the other side will represent the other parable. Two, two parables, two sides. <clears throat> the first parable instructs the crowd to weigh the cost of following Christ. The second parable describes to the people what will happen if they choose not to follow Christ. But both of them end up at the same place. Both of them will end up telling the people, they will, whatever do you choose to follow or not follow, it's going to cost you everything. If you choose to follow Christ, you're going to have to give up everything in this world and live under his lordship and his leadership. If you choose not to follow Christ, in the end, you're going to give up everything anyway. So he starts off by asking in uh, verse 28, he's asking a question. And it's the same question that you and I will have to answer. Uh, and it determines our eternal destiny. He says, suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to com complete it? So by asking this question, Jesus is asking the people to think about their relationship to him. His desire would be for all of these people in front of him to follow him. But only after they clearly understood what that meant, what the cost was going to be. This parable draws upon a common life experience. Very familiar with the people there. Here there's a construction site and a tower is being built. It might be a watchtower for the town, or it might be some kind of a tower that they would use in the agricultural industry in the area. And this would probably be familiar wording for Jesus as well. Keep in mind that he was a carpenter, but the term used for carpenter also indicates that he, it was bigger than just making tables and chairs in a workshop. He also, according to that word, dealt with stone. And so he would know how to build things besides just wood. So he, he would be familiar with the construction site. So he says a wise builder would never be so foolish as to start a project without first doing a cost analysis. And I'm 
in the process of doing that with those steps out front. And, uh, determining what it's going to cost. If we <laughs> didn't know the expense involved, this builder would discover two legs and possibly be unable to complete the task by not having enough funds uh, to do the job. If he lacked the proper funding, he would be forced to abandon the project, having wasted some valuable time and resources, not to mention the damage that would be done to his reputation as a builder. Jesus goes on in verse 29. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it will begin to ridicule him. All because he failed to count the cost. This builder's only recourse would be to stop building and withdraw from the construction site in event, in other words, everything would be lost. It's a waste of his time, a waste of his building materials, and he might even have to leave town because who would hire him as a builder if he was foolish enough not to count the cost? He was unable to finish the project. So this parable symbolizes, again, here's the spiritual application to this story, symbolizes the crowd uh, who were superficial followers of Christ. Such people had never counted the cost of what this would really require. A lot of these people were just drawn to the excitement and the energy of the crowd. <coughs> you ever been in a big crowd, you can see how that at a concert or um, some other major event, a political rally, you can see how that excitement and enthusiasm builds. But there was no real commitment by these people. They were just superficial followers. They never considered the ultimate cost and sacrifice. So there was really no commitment to Jesus as a personal savior. Like the builder in this parable, so many people today start this way. They may attend a church, perhaps even get involved with a few religious activities, get involved in a Bible study, or um, be on a uh, hospitality committee. They're comfortable going through the motions of this Christian crowd. However, it's all external. They never really had a personal relationship with Jesus. And then old friends come around. Familiar temptations rise up again. Old habits re-emerge. Uh, They start to encounter some persecution because they were associated with these, the church. Eventually, these people fall back to their former way of life. 
They began to build, but they didn't finish due to the high cost that was required of them. Sadly, um, these people never were true disciples. They were never really true Christians. They did not lose their salvation. They never really truly had it. They were never authentic disciples. The falling away from Christ revealed that they never had exercised true saving faith from the beginning. So any genuine commitment to Christ requires counting the cost. These people never thought about having to give up a life in which they could choose their own way. Nor the freedom to do anything with they wanted to. They didn't consider that it, they would had they had to live for God now and do what he wants us to do the way he wants us to do it. The idea of forsaking all and not turning back to the old lifestyle never entered their mind. They didn't count the cost. I'll read a quote here from Steve Lawson that's been a source of a lot of this material. And he says, be assured that religion that costs nothing is worth nothing and accomplishes nothing. Religion that costs you neither time nor thought nor self-denial nor sacrifice nor prayer nor suffering nor opposition nor persecution nor conflict will be a religion that will never save your soul. It is a religion that will give you no comfort in the day of adversity. It is a religion that will give you no peace in the day of your death. So while these people were asked by Christ to give up everything to follow him, they would gain so much more, so much more in the end. By okay, now we're going to take a look at the other side of the dollar, the other parable, and we're going to start in verse 31. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able to? with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. Again, these parables are back to back for a purpose. Jesus wanted to say, if you follow me, it's going to cost you everything. If you don't follow me, it's going to cost you everything. 
So as Jesus stood before that crowd, he knew that they were people who were uninformed about the high cost of discipleship. These people were swept up in the excitement of the moment. They had no idea of the demands Christ required of them. Unknown to them, they were at war with the very person they were following. And they were completely unaware that Christ was at war with them. In this next parable, Jesus addresses these two distinct truths. He uses this parable to illustrate what the result will be if these people fail to follow him on his terms. As we have already read, you can see the story Jesus is telling about two enemy kings preparing to go to war with each other. So let's sum up what we know so far. Each king has a marching army which he is leading into battle. The two rulers are locked into a state of war with each other. However, it seems that the upcoming confrontation will be a mismatch. One king has a vastly superior strength, and it seems to steal the <coughs> defeat from the lesser king. I'm sorry, seals the defeat of the lesser king. Hopefully we can make application here at the end as it applies to our own lives. Jesus sets the scene as <coughs> of the parable in verse 31. Or what king when he sets out to meet another king in battle? Each king or monarch reigns over his own kingdom. And each king was about to lead their forces into war. There must have been some kind of bitter uh, dispute, uh, opposition or strife that existed between these two. This rivalry was so intense that an inevitable battle was about to happen. In this fight, only one king will be victorious. They are not equal in power. One king is far superior to the other. The stronger king will dominate the weaker, and he will defeat the weaker and gain the spoils of war. The defeated king will lose everything. His people will go into slavery. And this is a custom of the time. If you read back through the battles of David and, and some of uh, the other Joshua, um, it was usually required that they kill the king of the opposing forces. So this king that's going to lose is also going to lose his life. It was a winner-take-all battle. In this parable, Jesus explains that when the inferior king realizes that he is besieged by a superior force, he must first sit down and consider whether he's strong enough with 10,000 men to defeat an army of 20,000. 
And the logical conclusion is this. There's no way that the outnumbered king can stand against the greater threat in this rival king. The lesser king must come to his senses, realize it is a tremendous disadvantage to fight this opposing force. He therefore must act immediately before it's too late. So to, under, to understand fully the meaning that Jesus has in this parable, we need to identify the two powers that Jesus speaks about. As Jesus stood there on the hillside facing this great crowd, each person that he was addressing was much like a king that has responsibility to provide over their affairs to their own kingdom. Each person standing there was responsible for his life. His per each person standing there was responsible for their decisions. Like a king dealing with the affairs of state within his kingdom, each person made decisions with regard to their own life. The issue of whether or not to follow Christ requires their most careful consideration. Much like a king when they prepare to deal with the crisis in their kingdom. What these people decide concerning Jesus will not only affect their present condition, but will have an impact on their near future and their eternal destiny. So let's look at some verses here. <clears throat> Ken, would you read um, Revelations 19.16? Just find it there, and I'll tell you when to read. Cliff, would you read Daniel 7.14? And Bill, would you read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So we see here two kings, and we see a lesser king and a, and a greater king. And the more powerful king is Jesus Christ, who possesses great and infinite power. Ken, would you read? King of kings, Lord of lords. He's the one with infinite power. Greatest power than, than anybody else. His authority is unrivaled. There's no enemy that can withstand his onslaughts. Universal authority belongs to him. King of kings and Lord of lords. Cliff, read Daniel.
And from the New Testament, <coughs> Bill, Philippians 2, 9 through 11. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So what the parable was attempting to do is Jesus was saying, I am the one in charge here. I am the greater king, you're the lesser king, and there's no way you're going to He has no rival. His exalted position is over the entire heavens and the entire earth. This parable teaches the hostile war that exists between sinful man and the holy God. They are not at peace with each other. This conflict, this war continues to this day. Because we have sinful people and we still have a holy God that we worship. It continues to be a great conflict, a war between the two. Those in the crowd did not realize the state of war in which they found themselves. It is their own belief that puts them in a spiritual warfare against God. We can see this truth sprinkled throughout the scripture. Matthew 12, 30 says, Jesus said, he who is not with me is against me. There's that conflict, that war. Romans 5, 10, Paul writes, all believers are enemies of God. All unbelievers are enemies of